from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I will cut them in half and frame them so they can be wall art. I'll shatter them intentionally and turn them into mosaics or collages. So I'm, I'm very much experimental. Traditionally, they are chicken eggs, but you can use anything from ostrich eggs to parakeet eggs. <laughs> Pisanki is about doing something that is worthwhile for the weight. At the same time, you're also supporting a really important cause. It felt so wrong to sit in our comfortable homes and have our full dinners and then transition you know, to making art, and it's so comfortable. I'm Sarah Fenske. As a teacher, Katherine Alexander ran Webster Grove's orchestra program for nine years. But when she shifted gears to become a stay-at-home mom, she found herself returning to an art form that predated her career as a music educator. Katherine makes Ukrainian Easter eggs and also jewelry inspired by the distinctive designs that go on to these delicate shells. Catherine's work has notched millions of views on TikTok, and these days she's putting it to use for a good cause. She's raised more than $5,000 to help the people of Ukraine, and she joins us today to tell us all about it. So Catherine Alexander, welcome. I am thrilled. Thank you. So we're so happy that you're here with us today. How did you first learn how to make Ukrainian Easter eggs? Oh, my Polish mother taught me. Uh, so my grandmother came over from Poland right after World War II. She did not know the art. So my mother grew up and had another Polish friend who said, you're Polish like me, but let's make pisanki. And my mother didn't understand. So she was invited over. They learned it together. And then uh, many years later, she taught it to me. So you use this word pisanki. Yes. This is the technical word for what you're doing. This is correct. Pisanki, although my accent is not correct (laughs) because uh, my grandmother did not teach the language to us. So I learned it along with my mother from books and from friends, but we do not speak Polish or Ukrainian. So for people who go way back with these Easter eggs, do they call them Ukrainian Easter eggs? Like as, as outsiders, are we correct to think of this as a Ukrainian art? Yes, we, we are correct. I, I think most of us who who celebrate the origins of the art will refer to it as pisanki. Um, and and, but it's it's very true to call it a Ukrainian Easter egg. The art predates Christianity, so they're both correct. Pisanki is the older term and one that I identify with a bit more when I'm creating them. And so what makes a Pisanki a Pisanki? <laughs> and again, I'm sure my accent on that is terrible. <laughs> I think you're doing great. So it is a real egg. Uh, Traditionally, they are chicken eggs, but you can use anything from ostrich eggs to parakeet eggs. (laughs) And it is created with good intentions, with positivity, with optimism, one layer of wax at a time. So you draw on the egg. Pisanki means to write. You are writing with wax on this eggshell and then dyeing it one color at a time. So into yellow and then more wax and then into orange and more wax until finally you melt the wax off for the reveal and see what you've been working on for the past 12 hours. So 12 hours, this seems like really 
painstaking work. What about doing this? And this kind of laborious process ended up being appealing to you at that point <laughs> in your life in which you, you came back to this and really went all in on Pisanki. Yes. Uh, I think being a mother and running around and as physical as that is and as messy and as chaotic and beautiful, it's it gave me pause at night to sit and do something calm where I could really focus on the process and a single line and a small artifact, if you will, and and just focus on something simple mm-hmm. and then keep that going until you can finally see the results. So watching you do this, I'm just blown away by how steady your hand is. I feel like if I'm there with wax, I'm going to be just shaking all over the place. These lines are not going to look like lines. Did it take a while to develop those muscles? Yes. Yes, for sure. And it's, it's culturally, it's something that mothers teach their children young, right? As soon as they can be around a, a candle safely. And as mothers, we encourage all of the doodles that the children create, and they're all beautiful and wonderful. And as as we get older and more refined skills, uh, the technique gets better. And about five years ago, that's when I started making them almost compulsively every night. Hmm. I had to. I had I had to get to eight o'clock when the boys were tucked in, and I could work on this art. And that's when my skills really grew to a new level. And did you realize at that point, okay, I'm not just making these for my own, you know, the stimulation or lack of stimulation you need at the end of the day, like this could actually be a business. So it it slowly developed into one. Uh, and at first, I was very much in making them for myself, for my own comfort at the end of the day. And there, there was a natural interest in it. And I was also very driven to see this folk art revered as the fine art I truly believe it is. Mm -hmm. And that has been very satisfying and a rewarding process that I'm I'm thrilled to see we are still in we are still going through. So pre-pandemic, you started going to things like art fairs. And then are people purchasing the, the oh, yes. Easter egg? Yes. So a lot of my work I've, I've turned into jewelry. I will harden it and make it durable by adding layers of resin. So it can be worn. It's durable. Um, but, but people still like to see them on their shelves. And I also I will cut them in half and frame them so mm. they can be wall art. I'll shatter them intentionally and turn them into into mosaics or collages. So I'm I'm very much experimental. The foundation is classic. <laughs> the framing is new for sure. So I'm sure you get this question at art fairs from any number of ill-educated people. When you're selling an actual egg, what keeps that from going bad? <laughs> Traditionally, they would be kept whole and nine times out of ten they would survive for decades. There was that one when you came home from vacation that had randomly exploded in your home and you were aware of it the moment you opened the door. Now, today, all of my work is always emptied, cleaned, and drained before it ever leaves my nest. (laughs) And so you're working with an Easter egg that uh, even before you start working on it, you're draining that liquid out? Sometimes, yes and no. Uh, If it's an ostrich egg, it's drained. If it's a parakeet egg, it's absolutely drained. If it's a chicken egg, I like that it will sink in the dye. So 
a lot of times I'll keep it whole. I'll do the entire art process, and then I will puncture the bottom mm-hmm. and empty the contents, which is when it sometimes shatters. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, it seems like having an empty egg, that's so much more dangerous in, ter- in terms of just how delicate it is. Yes. So you've lost some good ones that way. I have. But you can't send people home from an art fair with an egg that might explode in their oh. house months later. That, that would not be good for business. No, no, no return customers that way. <laughs> So you were kind of this this business was kind of ticking along and, and people were respecting this as an art form. It's easy if you look at your art, you can see why. We want to encourage people to check this out at KatherineAlexander.art. That's Catherine with a K. Um, these are just beautiful eggs. Then the pandemic hit, and this was so hard for so many artists. How did you keep things going at that point? Yes. So up until 2019, I was able to do this just as a hobby. And in December of 2019, I actually formed my business and I was ready to to pay my taxes and do this, you know, correctly and get my name out there. And I had bought my art fair booth, which was a huge investment. And I started applying. So I'm doing all these applications in January and February, and I'm getting my acceptance letters. Oh, (laughs) I see where this is going, Catherine. (laughs) And I'm so excited and I'm thrilled that... St. Louis is accepting this and they want to see more. And then, of course, things shut down. So TikTok really helped me still be educational about this art to still get it out there. And people really love to see the process. So now that even art fairs are coming back, I'll play my TikTok videos in the booth so that they can see the finished piece along next to the complicated process. Yeah, and these TikTok videos, you've gotten more than a million views for many of these. What do you think makes this art form so perfect for TikTok? (laughs) It's a great question. I just think the process is so unique And we are very used to seeing a flat surface in our life. We're also used to seeing a white background with black ink on it. Mm -hmm. And this process, it it happens in reverse. We start with a white oval, so it's not flat to begin with, which is already more interesting. And then we cover it with wax, and it becomes more and more of a mess as the process goes on. And right before the reveal it's just it's just an ugly blobby mess of wax and then i blow it off with a heat gun which is a great moment uh-huh and then those colors start to shine through and it's it's mesmerizing. It's it's very much under the oddly satisfying category. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I mean, these things are so cinematic. It's kind of like, you know, if you end up on Facebook and you see these ads for, you know, these elaborate things people are cooking and you just keep watching, even though you're not interested in eating this dish, this is so much better because there's this payoff of, of just this absolutely gorgeous art. And so this really took off there. Does that end up translating into sales? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> so I just launched my website which I'm, I'm very proud to have under my, my full control now. And it's, I've been very well received. I, these, these pieces have gone international for me. So it's, it's thrilling and, and I'm very proud. So you're just launching your business at the same time you're also supporting a really important cause. You're giving money uh, to the people of Ukraine. Has that had a, a big reception? Oh, gosh. So many Pisanki artists in the past two months, I feel like we had this moment of it felt so wrong to sit in our comfortable homes and have our full dinners and 
then transition, you know, to making art and it's so comfortable and it felt wrong for a long time and I couldn't do it. I was trying I was trying to do something with myself in the evening and it felt incorrect. So finally coming to the conclusion that I could make them and auction them off or raffle them off, it gave me new purpose. There's also a movement called Pisanki for Ukraine where we are all using yellows and blues mm-hmm. as our inspiration. That led me to work with Trace Creek Quilting who donated a gorgeous quilt I paired it with a pisanki that I then smashed into uh, necklace pendants, and that fundraiser alone raised over four thousand. And now our to- my total altogether is over six thousand. Wow, that's great! Well, it's great to see people stepping up, and also more attention to this art form that that you're really there to promote. And I'm going to ask a hard question in our final minute here, but you've talked about the symbolism in this art form. Do you feel like that's something that uh, applies to the situation in Ukraine, applies to what's going on in the world? Oh, gosh, absolutely. It's, it's, Pisanki is about doing something that is worthwhile for the wait. We don't see the results immediately. Wheat is a big symbolic piece in, in this art, and it's you plant the seed and then you have to wait for the harvest. So I love that there are so many Pisanki artists who are rallying around our, our sisters in Ukraine um, and sending the emotional support by keeping this art going as best we can. It is such a nice thing in the middle of such a sad story. Catherine Alexander, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you caring about the art. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.